invite you to open your Bibles, Romans chapter 10. We'll jump in right at verse 1, read down through verse 13. Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, or brethren, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, if you're wondering, who's Paul talking about here? This is the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to the church at Rome. We know back at the beginning of chapter 9, he started to talk to us about The Jews. Very interesting about the Jews. Historically, they're known as God's people. And yet, in Paul's day, much like our own day, most of the Jews were rejecting Christ. And to reject Christ is to perish. You've got all these people that in the Old Testament were called God's people. They thought of themselves as God's people. And yet now the Christ has come and most of them are rejecting Him and they're perishing. So Paul has been explaining to us why in the world this is happening. So when he starts in verse 1 of chapter 10 and he says, brothers, he's speaking to Christians at Rome and us. And he's speaking to them about These folks that his heart's desire is that they might be saved. These are his own fellow kinsmen, the Jews. He says in verse 2, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Verse 6, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let me start this morning by charting our course over the next 45 minutes or so. Here's what I want us to do. We're not going to deal with all this, and we've already dealt with some of this. I want us to primarily and specifically look at verses 5 through 
nine today. And I want to do that by breaking it up into three points. First, I want us to look at verse five. That verse tells us probably the most important thing any of us need to know about the law. That'll be the first point. Second, we'll look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Because I have a feeling that as I read that, you know, who's going to go up to heaven? Who's going to go into the abyss? I mean, what's all that about? I mean, I, I can imagine the number of times as a young believer, I probably read through Romans 10 and I thought, okay, whatever. You know, you just kind of, you go past it. As... as you know, the more you, the more you study your Bible and the more you learn about, it, the more you stop. Oftentimes, and you say, you know, I've never understood that. I, I'm not, I'm going to I'm going to try to figure that out. However, you do that, you know. Typically, maybe you run off to the commentaries, and then you read them, and you're just twice as confused because those guys didn't know either. So, but we're going to look at six, seven, and eight, and just see if maybe we can glean something out of those three verses that would be helpful. Then third and last, I want to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. We're not going to look at them as much as we need to. Next week we're going to have to go back there. But I want to start looking at them. We looked at 6, 7, and 8 in the second point. I want to pull 8 as well into the third point and kind of include 9 and 10 there. We'll look a bit there where Paul talks about the reason is because 8 is difficult with 6 and 7, so we want it in the second point. But it also talks about the mouth and heart, which so do 9 and 10. So we want to kind of bring that into the third point and look at, see what God has to say, what Paul has to say about how the mouth and the heart fit into the Christian life. So here we go. Now look, you know one of the problems with expositional preaching is... You can't just let loose everywhere. You know, you can't, you, you can't just uh, dive into it and be super practical right at the beginning because, not to say that the Scriptures are not practical, they absolutely are, but some places you come across things that just they are going to take a lot more teaching and instruction. <clears throat> we, get to, we need to get to the place where we understand what is being said. You guys realize... If you don't understand the Scriptures, if you don't understand what's actually being said, it can't be a blessing to you. It can't be a help to you. And so, this is going to be a little bit more like a Bible study today, just simply because I want you guys to understand what Scripture says, what it means by what it says, so that as you come across these verses again in the future, maybe they won't be so obscure, if, if indeed they are obscure to you right now. Which they were to me. I mean, that whole thing about the abyss thing and pulling Christ down from heaven and, you know, I, I can say that th through most of my Christian life, that was just, and that was just some, uh, I, I, would, I didn't know what, you know, Paul, what in the world are you saying? I mean, that, you know, typically as you read through scriptures, well, it kind of makes sense. You know, I understand why he would say that right there. Paul, one thing about Paul is he's very logical. And, you know, typically you can figure out He's, he doesn't just say things for no purpose. Paul does not waste words. He said what he said because he meant to say something. And, you know, why, why would he pull that in? Well, okay, here we go. Number one, let's read verse 5 together. 
For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Here's the thing I want you to notice about this verse. What word does it start with? For. F-O-R. That's a conjunction. Now how many of you grew up Saturday mornings, you saw conjunction, junction, what's your function? As I was thinking conjunction, you know, I, I actually wrote down here, what is the function of a conjunction? And I thought, now you younger guys, we were just figuring out, some of you guys weren't even born till the late 80s, so you're like in another generation. But look, conjunctions have a function, and what is it? You remember the little train coming down? Yeah, they connect. You know, you had the two cars on it, and they were connected by the and or the or or... Well, four is a conjunction, which means Paul's not starting a new thought all of a sudden right here. His thought runs back. But here's the thing, and oh boy, Paul, he could just carry on, couldn't he? I mean, he, Paul could go a long time without taking a breath and starting a new sentence. Because if you go back, what this tells us is verse 5 is connected with verse 4. But what does verse 4 start with? What does verse 3 start with? You see, actually his sentence, his, this thought, as, as a nice component, does not really start until back at the beginning of verse 2. So, if I just dive into verse 5 here, it kind of leaves us hanging. So let's go back to verse 2. Let's pull this together real fast so that we can get to 5 and maybe, you know, at least find out what the flow is here. I bear them. Now, we already said, that's Israel. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, here's this. For being ignorant. Now, stop right there. Ignorant. They are ignorant. What is ignorance? A lack of knowledge. Well, that's just what was said at the end of verse 2 there. Not according to knowledge. Now, look. Last weekend, when I was out at Community Baptist Church, I talked a lot about the necessity of zeal, the necessity of passion. And I don't, I'm not going back on that. We absolutely need that. We have to have that. It's critical. But look, put these thoughts together in your minds. The Jews have zeal for God, right? Isn't that what he says here? They had a zeal. Isn't that good? And hey, that, that sounds right. That sounds good. But, here's the problem. It's not according to knowledge. They're ignorant. Is that bad? We'll go back to verse 1. Paul's praying that these Jews might be saved. You don't do that unless what? They're lost. Paul is saying... That in the case of the Jews, zeal for God plus ignorance about God equals lost and separated from God. That should concern us. What you don't know about God, what you don't know about Christ might damn you. Now listen, 
What Craig was saying during the Sunday school, he was talking about the incarnation. He was talking about the virgin birth. And he was talking about the dangers of not believing it. Listen, let me tell you something about the construct of the Gospel. The Gospel is basically, at its foundational level, it is about believing objective propositional facts. You go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul's talking about the Gospel there. And you know what he says to the Corinthians? This is what it is. You've got Christ. Christ died. Christ was buried. He went in the grave. Three days later, He rose. These are objective facts. Just like the virgin birth. Christ, look, this is so critical. Because it's in propositional truths that the very Christ who saves is described. And when we don't have the right Christ, we don't have salvation. And so Satan is always there seeking to pull apart the person and the work of Christ. Because if he does so, he damns men. When we lose these... By propositional, I just mean a fact that can be set out there for men to observe. It's, it's a truth they can look at, they can examine. It's a fact. Here we go. It's possible for you to be ignorant of a fact about the person of Christ or the work of Christ that will cost you your life. That's what he's saying about the Jews. That should concern us. What is it that they were so fatally ignorant of? Verse 3, being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now here's the issue. Righteousness. What does that mean? And you, you hear sometimes young people go around today, that's righteous. You know, what, what does that mean? What does the term mean? Biblically, what is, not, not what do the young people mean today, but what does it mean biblically? What does it mean right there? When, when Paul says, here's what they're ignorant of. There is a righteousness that comes from God. Now they went about seeking to establish their own. They were ignorant of it. They would not submit to it. They were seeking to establish a righteousness of their own in another way. But there is a righteousness that comes from God. Now remember this. When you go back to verse 1, Paul's praying for these folks. They're lost. You know why they're lost? Because the way they were seeking to establish a righteousness never ends up ending in righteousness. But there is a righteousness that comes from Christ. Well, what do we mean by righteousness? It's, it's a very simple term. It's not confusing at all. You hear in there the term right. That's what it is. It's doing right. But of course, right is defined by what? It's defined by God. What God requires is what is right. And so to do what God requires is what it is to be righteous. Now here's the thing. God is righteous. He always does what He requires. Man is not righteous. Man is unrighteous. 
None. Is that, is that not what Scripture says? None is righteous. Not, no, not one. Not even one. There's none righteous. Why? Because we never do what God requires. We never do what He says to do. That's the issue. Now, you know, isn't it amazing? We just, we have this burned into us. We know this. It's, it's like it's, it's somewhere in the recesses of our consciences. We understand that. Men realize, I've got to be good. If I'm not good, I mean, you just go out, talk to people. Where do good people go? Good people go to heaven. Where do bad people go? Bad people go to hell. Well, the conclusion of that is in our minds. We realize, i got to be good. Somehow i got to work this thing out so that I'm good. Well, here's the thing. Man is not good. Man is unrighteous. But God didn't just come along and say, well, you know what? I'm going to just let men rot and die in their miserable, damnable, guilty, sinful condition. He's done something to provide a righteousness for us that we don't have. Now look, Craig said this this morning. He quoted from the text in 1 John. Jesus has actually given this title. Jesus Christ, the righteous. None of the sons of Adam ever measured up to righteousness. None of them. No man until this Nazarene came along, walked this earth by the name, the God-man, by the name of Jesus. He was righteous. That's a title of Christ that ought to make us sit up and take notice. Here's the thing. He always did what was right. Always. Now, basically, here's the thing. We're unrighteous. He's righteous. God sent His Son to this earth to be righteous. You know why? So that He might earn a righteousness. He might work one out so that He would have it to give to us. You can see that right there. I mean, how do I know that's true? How do I know that a righteousness that comes from God is Christ's righteousness? How do I know that? You know how I know it? Verse 4 tells me so. Plant your eyes right there. Look at the text. Now, in our English Bibles, it tends to read this way. That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In the original, it's actually constructed differently. And I think it's important to emphasize this because it shows where the emphasis is in Paul's mind. In the Greek, it goes this way. The end of the law is Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. The emphasis in the original is Christ for righteousness. It isn't so much that the law for righteousness is ended by Christ. It's, it, it could very accurately be said that this way. Christ for righteousness is the end of the law for righteousness. You see, it comes back to Him. Now, now this, ought, this is very telling. Because what this tells us is this. The Jews, they're seeking to work out a righteousness. They're seeking to establish one on their own. 
while they're ignorant of and unsubmissive to a righteousness that comes from God. The righteousness that comes from God is bound up in Christ, Christ our righteousness, and clearly it's set over and against the law. And see, that's what the Jews were doing. Jews had a law. Jews had the commandments. The Jews said, we're going to keep these commandments. That's how we're going to get right with God. But you know what? Christ comes along and He puts an end to all of that. He puts an end to... Now look, I want you to understand this. The Jews were not ignorant of the fact that they needed righteousness. They understood that. They knew that. That's not where they went wrong. Men do feel that need. The Jews feel that need. We feel that need. Jews were not ignorant of that. You know what they were ignorant of? They were ignorant of how you actually got to that place to be righteous. Now let me tell you something. Right there at the end of verse 3, it says this. And I'll tell you, this says something about you. It says something about mankind. You know what? We've got some folks in here today, you're not saved. You may not right now know the way to be saved. I want to tell you what that way is. But let me tell you some dark thing about the Jews, which is telling of our own hearts. Right there at the end of verse 3, it says this, they did not submit to God's righteousness. There's more here than just ignorance. The ignorance of the Jews was more than just an innocent lack of knowledge. Their will was involved. They did not submit. They did not want to know about God's righteousness. Back in Romans 1, we are told an ugly reality about man. In his unrighteousness, man seeks to willingly suppress the truth. Man's ignorance has a dark side to it. It isn't just that man does not know. Man does not The fact is, man refuses to know. But to those who by faith find Christ altogether lovely, they can say, you know what? I don't have to earn my righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. He puts an end to all that law keeping. I don't have to go there. And you guys understand what I mean by law keeping. Look, that law keeping shows up a lot of different ways in mankind. It can be like the Jews where you've got the Ten Commandments and you've got all the other Mosaic laws and, and they sought to do these things and they sought to, at least externally they did. But for many it can be something else. You can set up your own code. You can set up your own list of rules. And every religion's got them. Aside from true Christianity, every religion has their list. This is what you got to do. You do this, you're going to get in. It's always that way. And even men that aren't so much devoted specifically to any certain religion per se, they walk around through life thinking somehow, some way, they just they've got to they've got to make this thing work out in the end so that they're on the good side of God. They got some good to their merit. They got some good there. 
which means they believe that they've got to do some things. They've got to carry out some certain works. They've got to be able to measure up. They've got to come to this place. And you know what? Christ for righteousness is the end of all that. All of it. Now, now look. Just one last word here. Righteousness. Christ came and He was righteous. We're unrighteous. When I say that His righteousness comes from God to us, what I'm talking about here is the value of it, the merit of it, the worth of it is credited to us so that God looks at us and sees, sees His obedience as my own. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that we actually become righteous like He is. Now, that's true, but that's just a different doctrine. That's not what's being talked about. What Paul sees here is there is a free gift that comes to us, a gift of something that we lack, a gift of something that we don't have. That's righteousness. It becomes credited to us. It's, it's a legal matter. Okay, that brings us to verse 5. All that, just kind of introducing this verse. For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, here's what I want you to see. Paul jumps in at verse 5 and he quotes Moses. He's quoting Moses from Leviticus 18. Don't turn there, just, just listen to me read it. I'm going to read the first five verses And right here at the end, you'll see where Paul actually quotes Moses. But I want you to see a little bit of the context behind what Moses said that Paul is quoting. Leviticus 18, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. Say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt. So God's telling Israel, be different than the Egyptians where you lived, where you used to live. You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. So don't be like the Egyptians. You're not going to be like the Canaanites either. You're not going to be like those in the land you come from. Neither are you going to be like those in the land that you're going to. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You there shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. Now here's where Paul quotes. If a person does them, that's the statutes, the rules, the commandments of God. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Paul's quoting Moses for one simple reason. In Romans 10, verse 4 Paul just said Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You know what he's doing? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Now he's going to show us why we would ever want to make an end of the law for righteousness. You know, so far, well, we see the Jews trying to do it. Here's the thing. Moses said, you can get life through the commandments. That's what he said. There in Leviticus 18, he says, if a person does them, he shall live by them. You know what? 
Paul hit on this back in Romans 7. He said the very commandment that promised life. Whoa! It promises life. Hey, if the law promises life, and God promises life through Christ, who cares whether I get it through law or whether I get it through Christ? What's the difference? I mean, as long as I'm going to get righteousness one way or the other, so be it. I mean, if that's what God requires, that's what He accepts, that's what makes me presentable and acceptable to Him, if that's what guarantees me of heaven, so be it. I mean, if it comes from the law, it comes from Christ. If I got it, I got it. Right? Let me tell you something. When Paul says, speaks, verse 5, I will guarantee you there is one word he wants you to hear in that verse. Does. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now here's the thing. Moses, being quoted here by Paul, but as Paul is introducing Moses, he says this, Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law. There is a real, true righteousness that's based on the law. If I can keep it, I can be righteous that way. So then, it doesn't really matter if I get it from Christ, who did keep it, or if I get it by keeping the law. But Paul really wants you to hear that word does. The person who does the commandments. And that's the issue. Of course righteousness is available from the law. But only if you do the law. That's the catch. You don't become righteous just by hearing the law, knowing the law, or sometimes making an attempt to keep the law. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 3.10. Cursed, get, get the fullness of this. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here's the point. Everyone's cursed who does not do every single thing that is written in the book of the law. I'm, we're not just talking Ten Commandments here, folks. I mean, even if that's all there was, you're dead meat. But there's like, how many do the rabbis say there is? There's hundreds. All you got to do is go back and you start in Exodus and you read through Exodus and you read through Leviticus and you read through Deuteronomy. I mean, folks, you got commandments coming at us one after another, after another, after another. Just dealing with every aspect of life. The book of the law. We're not just talking Ten Commandments. The book of the law. You don't do everything written in it all the time. Do them. Do them. Do them. Here's the thing. Talk to people. Are you good? I'm good. Hear that law. Do it. Do it. Do it. I'm good. Do it. You're telling me you're doing it? You fall short the first moment you don't do it. Now here's, a, here's another thing to consider. You say, okay, well, I mean, this doesn't make sense to me. If the Jews were all of a sudden told, hey, look, you don't measure up. But 
God offers you a righteousness by which you will measure up. Christ did measure up. And the way He measured up and all His perfections and all His obedience, God will take that and credit to your, to your account. And you'll get accepted. You'd look at that and say, well, okay. I mean, any idiot would see that if I'm unrighteous and I can't attain to the law and I've got to do it, but I haven't done it and I'm under this curse and God offers it to me another way and He offers me paradise as a result of it. I'm going to have Christ. I'm going to have the greatest treasure of all. I'm going to be able to behold Christ, have Christ, be with Christ forever and ever throughout all the ages. I'll be able to enjoy Him and have Him and love Him. I mean, okay, isn't everybody going to line up and flock and, and want this thing? And you'd think so, right? But what's the catch? The catch is this. For a person to realize that they need righteousness from God found only in Christ, what must they admit? They must admit that they have none. You know, and if you admit you have no righteousness, you know what you're really admitting? You're admitting that all your works are what? Evil. Unacceptable. Unrighteous. Not good. Sinful. Wicked. Depraved. Okay, well, if that's all it is, then we just need to run around and tell all men that. And then they'll see that and they'll say, hey, thanks for telling me that. Now they want the righteousness that comes from God, right? Okay, you go out and do that. You just, I hope you are doing that. We do need to do that. Let me tell you something. That's exactly what Jesus Christ came to this earth and did. Is it not? He came here specifically going around telling men that their works were evil. Listen to what John 7, 7 says. The world hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Don't you see the hopelessness of keeping the law? Christ says our works are evil. Dare we talk about doing God's commandments? Are we hearing Moses? If you would get to heaven by the way of the law, you must do it. Do it, do it, do it. Christ comes and says, you guys haven't done it. Your deeds are evil. Your works are evil. But you know what the world's like? They don't like the light. Because their works are evil. And so you know what they do? They run from the light. They don't want to know the light. Again, we come all the way full circle back around to where we were, right? Willful ignorance. We don't want to know. Don't shine the light on us. Don't tell us this. If you tell us, we're going to hate you. And you go around doing what Christ did and you're going to end up in the same place He ended up. The world will hate you. The world will persecute you. And the world might very well kill you. But that's what we're here to do. Because unless people come face to face with that reality that they are the way that they're described there, they'll never come. Okay, that's verse 5. That's the most important thing that you need to know about the law. Sure, there's, there's a righteousness that comes by way of the law if you do it. And that's his point there. They're lost. Why? Because they sought to establish their righteousness that way. But back up in what is it? Romans 9.31? We, we find back up there that that was the problem. They sought righteousness by the law, but they never arrived at the law. They never achieved it. They never reached it. That was the problem. That's a, that's a problem with anybody that tries to... You know what? No matter what moral code anybody sets up, they never achieve it. 
Okay, three difficult verses. Verses 6, 7, and 8. Listen to what Paul says here. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Now don't worry, folks. Don't turn me off. We're gonna we're gonna skip the third point and we're gonna we're gonna take that up next week. This will be my last point. Now, did you guys read that? The righteousness based on faith. I can imagine a lot of people, maybe some of you sitting there, the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, does that mean anything to anybody? Do you find something in there to really strongly encourage your faith, to help you walk through the Christian life this week ahead that's going to cause you to trust Christ more? I think most of us would admit at first glance, it's, it's a bit perplexing as to what Paul's trying to tell us here. Well, here, one thing ought to be clear right off. In verse 5, Paul is talking to the, uh, he's talking about the righteousness that is based on the law. You guys see that, right? Verse 5. The righteousness is based on the law. It comes by doing the law. Now, all of a sudden, in verse 6, he's comparing it or contrasting it to what? The righteousness that's based on faith. You see that right there at the beginning. But the righteousness based on faith says... And you see what he's doing. He's making the righteousness based on faith, which is also what? The righteousness that comes from God. The righteousness of God. Christ for righteousness. That's what he, He's been using a lot of different things. But... Christ for righteousness, end of the law, to all who believe. See, that's the righteousness is based on faith. Not the one on works, not the one the Jews were trying, not the one that's based on law keeping. So he's, he's setting them aside. And he says, look, over here, let me tell you what the law, or what the righteousness based on law sounds like. What does it say? The righteousness based on law speaks a certain way. And it says, do me, do me, do me, do me. But the righteousness based on faith speaks differently. It says something different. And what does it say? It says, don't, don't ask Christ to come down from heaven? What's that? Okay, now here's the thing that you've got to see. Paul is actually borrowing the construction here, again, from Moses. He's just been thinking about Moses, speaking about the law. And you know what he actually does? He takes another portion of Scripture where Moses speaks about the law, and he takes it and uses it for his own devices. And he changes it. Let me tell you where that happens. It happens in Deuteronomy 30. Now, this one I do want you to look at. But I want you to keep a finger at Romans 10 because we're going to come right back there and I want you to be able to compare the two texts. You see, over in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, I'm going to, I'm going to read this to you. 
I want you, I never want anybody here to ever again in your life be confused about what's happening right here in these verses in Romans 10. If you've ever been confused about it, if you've ever taken the time to even read it and stay there long enough to be perplexed and be confused, um, I don't want that to happen again. I want you to realize what Paul's doing. You can lock that, brother. Okay. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. Now follow along with me. Look what Moses is talking about here. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Now, too hard. That's ESV. That is not a good rendering right there. The idea here is not that it's too hard for you to do. Nobody did it. Nobody's ever done it but Christ. That's, that's just not... The idea here is that it's not inaccessible. It's not unsolvable. That's what the lexicon says. It's not too mysterious. That's what the New King James says. It's not hidden from thee. That's what the King James says. It's not too difficult, the NAS has. And the idea is it's not too difficult to understand. Look, thou shall not steal. That's not difficult to understand. Now, it's difficult to do. But it's not difficult to understand. It's close to us. It's near us. It's not a mystery. He says, neither is it far off. His whole idea here is, look, the commandment has been spoken to you by God from Sinai audibly. And he wrote it on stones. And Moses put it in a book. You've got it, folks. You've got it. You've got it to be able to learn it. You've got it to be able to know it. You've got it to hear. You've got it to teach your children. It's not way off somewhere far removed. You've got it. It's right there. You cannot say after this, well, we need to go over here or over there or over somewhere else to find this commandment. That's not it. Now, verse 12 there in Deuteronomy 30. It is not in heaven. You see, it's got to do with where it is. It's been committed to them. You don't now have to go to heaven to find this thing. That you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us. What's the it? The commandments. You don't have to go to heaven. You don't have to say who's going to go somewhere else. Who's going to go to heaven? Who's going to go up to God? Who's going to go to God and find out what it is we need to do? He's saying you don't need to do that. God has told you what to do. You've got His Word. That Word that contains these commandments. You've got them. For what reason? Again, isn't this exactly how the law speaks? That we may hear it and do it. Remember back there in Romans 10, verse 6, or verse 5 rather, that is how the righteousness which is according to the law speaks. Do it. How does it speak? You've got the commandment. It's close to you. It's not far off. It's not inaccessible. You don't have to go to heaven to get it. You've got it. Now do it. That's how the righteousness according to law speaks. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say we will go over the sea for us, and bring it to us that we may 
Again, hear it and do it. But the Word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may do it. That's always the issue. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do you see what Paul does? Paul takes this portion of Scripture that's all about the commandment that rings out with the righteousness which is by law, which is by doing, which is the kind of righteousness the the Jews were trying to establish. He takes it and he modifies it. Now go back to Romans 10 and look how he modifies it. Everywhere that Moses spoke about commandments and doing it, Paul peels it right out of there and puts what in its place? Christ. That's how righteousness, which is by faith, speaks. When you go up to somebody's door and they say, yeah, I'm a good person. That's how the righteousness which is by law speaks. When you go and speak to somebody and they say, let me tell you, Christ is my all. I have no hope with acceptance with God, but by Christ. That's how the righteousness which is by faith speaks. Yes, when we were lost, it was about how good we were, what we did, what we measured up to. I'm not as bad as that guy. But that's how the righteousness which is by law speaks. As soon as God brings us in saving faith to Christ, there's a different speech. The righteousness which is by faith speaks different than that. It replaces law. It replaces doing with Christ. Always it's with Christ. Always it's removing the law. It's that law, law, law. That's how the righteousness which is by the law speaks. But the righteousness which is by faith, it doesn't talk law, law, law. It speaks Christ. 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 It's always the way it is. Always. All we have to do is listen to a person. All you have to do, that's that's one of the great tip-offs when people come through this door and they come in here. They say, I want to join this church. I want to be a part of this. They get all excited about it. But you begin to talk about them and you know what? Where's Christ? I'm hearing what they did. I'm hearing they did this. They did that. But that's not how. Oh, that's a dead giveaway. What Paul is saying is that in the same way the Israelites didn't have to go searching for the commandment, in the same way we don't have to go searching all over for Christ. What is it that verse 8 says? Oh, it's amazing. People will jump from this place to this place and they're always looking. They're going over here. Well, I got to find this. I got to find the answer. I got to go over this place. I got to go over there. Got to check that out. Okay, they need to do some new thing. They got to go to the new, you know, what's happening. They're looking for feelings, they're looking for experiences. Listen, you know what Paul says? You don't have to go looking all over for it. You can come into a simple place just like this. And come into a restaurant. And if you've got somebody speaking gospel, you don't have to look further. There is a 
Word of faith. There's a truth. There are basic essential components of reality about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's found in a message. It's not found in some new rock band or some new Christian band, some new thing, some new little program over there. It's not all of a sudden Willow Creek, they found the answer. We need to all go over there. And now that, you know, they, they got the purpose driven deal, we've got to be driven up. Folks, it comes down to this it's just simply found in a message. It's found in a word that is spoken. In a spoken word, we can set forth very simply a Christ. Distinguished from all the other Christ, all the false Christ. Just these basic facts. We look to what? What kind of things? I mean, word of faith, that's awful broad. Well, he busts into it where we need to go next. But what is it? You confess with your mouth. And all the confession of the don't get into your head that just saying a little thing and you're able to mouth some words and that gets you. What the mouth speaks is an overflow of what grips the heart and soul and mind and the person. you got a person saying, Jesus is Lord. That's coming forth from a person gripped by that reality. And what? If you believe on Him that raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, you, what you've got in this message at the heart and soul of it. I'll tell you this. Paul could have talked a whole lot of things. He could have talked about the incarnation. He could have talked about Christ's life, Christ's obedience, about Christ's death, about Christ's sufferings. He goes over those things. He skips past them. And He comes, not that they're unimportant, not that they're not essential. They absolutely are. But isn't it amazing? When He wants to sum up what are these vital components of this word of faith, He goes right after the fact there is a submission to the Lordship of Christ. You declare Him Lord. He's talking about not just declaring it, submitting to it. How do I know that? Because Jesus Christ was never settled with just having somebody mouth it. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you do not do the things I say. That comes out of Luke 6. Confessing Him as Lord is really being gripped for the first time in your life. Christ is Master. When He says, follow me, He means it. He means, I'm to obey Him. I'm to follow. If I put my hand to the plow and I turn back, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. It's Christ is my all. He is Master. I'm submitting everything to Him. You think you're going to get to heaven not submitting to Christ? Folks, you can't be saved. You can't be saved unless He is acknowledged by you to be Lord. And you acknowledge that more than just by your mouth. It's acknowledged with a whole life. And amazing that He, of all the things He could have said, it's resurrection. He goes to the resurrection. You know, I am, I am really interested in the preaching of the book of Acts. I want to know how those old boys preached. You show me one of their sermons where they were not big on the resurrection. It's amazing the things that Peter and Paul do not say that we tend to emphasize so much in our Gospel message. And oftentimes the things we don't say that they do emphasize. They emphasize the resurrection. Why? Why is that so important? Well, that's for next week. But I'll tell you this. Your faith looks to the Christ I mean, what's, what's this? Christ the Lord is risen today. Both those truths are right there. Christ the Lord is risen today. I'll tell you this the faith 
that saves. The way righteousness that is by faith speaks, it speaks this way. Don't think you've got to go looking over hill, over mountain, up in outer space, down in the abyss, down in the depths of the oceans to find Christ. Here's the reality. Christ is Lord. Submit to Him. His Father raised Him from the dead. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered hell. And He he busted the gates of death, folks. He opens up the way for us to follow through. He is the first fruits. And in Him, we are made alive. In Him, we... You know, one of the things that you've got to be confronted with in life is death stares at us everywhere. There's a cemetery over there. You've got death. You guys know people that are dying. All around us, people are dying. We're confronted by it. The thing about Christ being resurrected is He busted the grave wide open. And He does that for us as well. That's our hope. You know why that's our hope? Because there's only one thing that kills. It's death. And death is the wages of sin. No sin, no death. Say, why'd Christ die? Exactly. He died for the sins of others, not for His own. You know what? The wage of sin is death. Once the wage is paid, death has no claim. You know why the grave couldn't hold Him? He paid. And if He died for my sin, and my sin was so completely paid for that the grave could not hold Him, guess what? I'm no longer in my sin. That's where my hope is. Don't you guys have, are you guys not confronted by death? Do, do you not think often about your life is short, that you are going to die, that death is inescapable? No matter what we do, where we go, who we are, death is there. What is our hope? Our hope is that death doesn't lead to our end, to our destruction. We hope that the day we close our eyes in this life, that it's not all over as far as God's mercies and God's goodness and God's glory. That's it. We're headed to death. The day's coming. It's appointed. And then the judgment. I mean, everything in us, our hope is based on this, that when we die, we're going to be resurrected. And you have no hope in that unless Christ indeed is resurrected. Now, there are other things that we need to look at pertaining to the resurrection and to the Lordship. But I just, bottom line, you know what Paul has done here? You, get, you have these two comparisons. There is a way the righteousness which is by law speaks, and there is a way righteousness which is by faith speaks. And basically, the righteousness which is by faith, it tears out all the law keeping, it tears out all the commands, it tears out all the moral codes and standards we have to live up to to be accepted, and it just placards Christ all over in there. It just totally replaced. That's where Paul's hope was. That's what the heart of his gospel message was. Christ is our hope. The Christ who is Lord and who was raised by His Father from the dead. And that's where we end today. Put your trust in that Christ. Father, may may some wretched soul find hope in that. May all they're doing and trying to be good 
and maybe despair and dejection that they have not been good. May it all be replaced with a joy that they might find a righteousness not their own be given to them by God through Christ. Christ Jesus, our risen Lord.